So hey everybody, welcome to the Banter Podcast episode 11. This is your host, Ben Kern. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Hi Mike, how are you today? I, I can't even, Ben. I can't even. It's 2020. I just... Uh, uh, the I, I wish... You know how they like conduct uh, sentiment polls among people saying like, is the country on the right track or the wrong track? Are you optimistic about the economy or are you pessimistic? There needs to be a uh, existential angst index among the populace because I think that would be pretty high right now, especially among liberals who, like me, who just cannot really process how we are in a position of being in a global pandemic and our country's response is being overseen by Donald Trump. I don't know if... There, this is a glitch in the matrix, or I don't know if this is a version of the matrix that is being run on purpose to see how uh, we deal with this kind of fuckery, but I don't like it. And I would like to be in another matrix, please. Yes, I agree. Is this? Have you been triggered by today's news that Donald Trump is apparently injecting himself with hydroxychloroquine? I don't know if he's injecting, but he's taking it every day. Yeah, he's taking a pill. I'm not sure I believe him. So he had just just before we came on today, Trump at a press conference at the White House said he's been taking hydroxychloroquine, even though he hasn't been exposed to it. And a reporter asked him if it has uh, preventative properties to it, if it prevents one from contracting coronavirus. And he basically said, you know, look, I'm still here or I'm proof and all this stuff. And he's hearing positive things and all that, and it's, it's, I just, I can we play the clip? Can we play the clip? Yes. Let's play the clip. Okay, this is, okay, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, this is the President of the United States taking uh, uh, an unproven medication, a preventative uh, med- medication for the coronavirus. Then, when you say unproven, it has been shown not to work. And in some cases, has killed people in clinical trials. So here well, we go. We can we can we can only hope in his case. Get a half now, and uh, I'm still here. I'm still here. Can you explain, sir, though, you, what is the evidence that it has a preventative effect? Here we go. You ready? Here's my evidence. I get a lot of positive calls about it. The only negative I've heard was the study where they gave it. Was it the VA with you know people that aren't big Trump fans gave it, and we've done the greatest job maybe of anything in the VA. Because I got VA choice and VA accountability, both approved. Accountability, Tillman, is where you can fire bad people that work in the VA, that you couldn't fire them. We had thousands of people that were sadists, that were stealing, that were robbers, that were horrible people. They beat up our veterans. They couldn't do it in prime time, but they did it when they were sick. And we got accountability. Nobody thought you could get it because of the unions and civil service. I got it passed so that now... You fire bad people in the VA. We got rid of tremendously bad people that should never been there. But I also got probably even more importantly, if you can say that, maybe not, VA choice. So if you have to wait online for a doctor, you go outside, you have a private doctor, we pay the bill. We work out deals with doctors. We have pricing. So you go out, you pay the bill. And it was a great thing that we did. So we've done a great job with the VA, but they had a report come out. And uh, the results of the report, it was a very unscientific report, by the way. But I get a lot of tremendously positive news on the hydroxy. And I say, hey, you know the expression I've used, John? What do you have to lose? 
Okay, what do you have to lose? So I, I have been taking it for about a week, for about a week and a half. Every day? At some point, every day. I take a pill every day. Uh, at some point, I'll stop. What I'd like to do is I'd like to have the cure and or the vaccine, and that'll happen, I think, very soon. Uh, okay, okay. What the fuck is he talking about? Uh, excuse my language here, people, but I, I just... I. Where where do you begin with that? Where do you begin? What what was he talking what about? Sadists in the VA, and he was saying the VA implying that the VA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, doesn't like him. And, uh, oh, they were beat. They were beating up veterans in the Veterans Affair. What's that? I mean, did I, is that is this a natural story or did I miss something? There may be cases where veterans have been ill treated at some of these hospitals, but this is, you know, what's it got to do with him taking hydroxychloroquine? Uh, I don't understand what, what one thing has to do with the other or why the VA hates him and they I I'm lost. I can't I yeah, I'm genuinely stumped here. I, I'm not even sure he's taking hydroxychloroquine. He 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 got off of this for a while because he was, if you recall, and we all do, maybe two months ago he started talking about hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. And after it was shown to not have much promise based on clinical trials, he kind of dropped it. And then he transitioned to injecting disinfectants and maybe hitting the body with a powerful light. And now he's back on hydroxychloroquine for some reason. Isn't it, doesn't he own a stake in the cut or I, I read a story somewhere that he has a stake in a company that produces this stuff. That would make more sense to me. Right. Uh, that, Big question. I mean, when he he got fixated over this, I, I think if I recall correctly, I, I think it was it was some very small stake in a company that produces this stuff. I, I remember reading an article, and, and my eyes didn't exactly pop out of my head. I think this may very well be Trump dangling a just a hope, a hope out there that we've we've got a cure maybe for this. And, you know, getting people to be optimistic about the economy and, and getting our, our establishments to, to reopen. I think that might be what's more at play here. But who knows? I mean, there's also I, I, I think the fact that he's looked so stupid on all of this stuff where he, he you know, he's every time he speaks, somebody who actually knows something comes out and says, yeah, this is nonsense. So it could be that he's sort of saying, well, look, like I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm taking it and it's working. You know, like part of it, he, he's trying to sort of prove to his supporters or prove to the public that he does know something and that he is like, you know, he he takes hydroxychloroquine. Uh, so therefore, you know, there must be something to it. And his his brain dead supporters are, are no doubt say, well, you know, if Trump's doing it, it must be good. How many people is this going to get killed? Do you think how many Trump supporters are going to go out and start taking this stuff? Well, it depends on how many of them are dumb enough to consume it uh, in the form of a fish tank cleaner, for example, like that couple in Arizona did, uh, which actually killed the, the guy who took it because they, they had seen that hydroxychloroquine was one of the ingredients in fish tank cleaner and along with a bunch of toxic chemicals. So they ingested it and one of them died. So I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But Obviously, if you're a Trump supporter and you are not a millionaire or a billionaire, you're not too bright. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, look, okay. I, I, here's a question, and this is something I've been grappling with for the past. Okay, this weekend, for you, I, I woke up on Saturday morning, and I just, for some reason, I was in a furiously angry, furiously ang- angry, mostly with uh, Trump supporters and and the sort of new age spiritual communicate community that have all converged on on kind of far out conspiracy theories about the coronavirus. Believing it doesn't exist, believing that vaccine, you know, that Bill, it's Bill Gates' plan to vaccinate everyone and take over the world and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, for the first time, I just, I felt, you know what? I hope they get coronavirus. I hope all these people get coronavirus. I'm not saying I hope they die, but I hope they get it so they know what it feels like because this, because, and that's, I think it's a dark place to be in. But I'm wishing people ill now. But that's how frustrating I'm finding this. I mean, does this make me a bad person? I don't think it makes you a bad person. I don't. Because I'm in the same boat. You know, when I see people calling this a hoax, saying that it's being overhyped, and just engaging in reckless behavior that not only endangers themselves, but those they come into contact with, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them. I really don't. And I, I would say, you know, part of me wishes that these people would get coronavirus. But another part of me says, well, they're going to come into contact with other with people. With someone, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Give, yeah, they're going to give it to people who are being more careful than they are. So, you know, I would love to give these folks a Darwin Award, right? You're familiar with the Darwin Award, right? Of course. Yeah, so, you know, when you... Well, they're about to, they're, they're winning it, right? I mean, a lot of these Trump supporters are winning. They're, they're you know, they're literally trying to take themselves out of the gene pool. We could only hope, but unfortunately many of them have already procreated. So look, did you read the story about the, uh, the woman who went to Trader Joe's, this Trump supporter? So there's a Trump supporter who went to, uh, to uh, Trader Joe's and was kicked out because she wouldn't wear, wear a mask. Did, did you hear about, did you hear about this one? I did. I saw the video. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, if if you haven't watched this, this is a it's a okay. This is the story in the Daily Beast. The Trump diehard who was booted from Trader Joe's for refusing to wear a mask now has coronavirus symptoms. She said healthy people can get sick. It doesn't mean the end. She says in the video, there's bacteria and there's viruses. They've been around for millions of years, really. And the most important thing is that our body is equipped for that. It has what we call an immune system. So when I was feeling sick yesterday, I knew that all I had to do was boost my immune system. And, and, and in Trump world, how does one boost one's immune system other than, of course, taking hydroxychloroquine? Or ingesting bleach or sticking a UV light on your backside. I think that if you're going to do this, if you're going to not wear a mask in public or, you know, or, or when you go to kind of enclosed spaces wearing a mask, if, you, if you're not going to do that, if you want to go and gather with friends and whatnot, you should be made to sign a waiver that says that you are risking your life. Right, that you won't you you forego medical treatment because you don't believe coronavirus is real. It's it's idiotic. By the way, I think she said she posted that she was having symptoms or a sore throat, but not sure if it's coronavirus. This is the lady who had the video, right? She, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was this, uh, you know, she was hectoring this this employee who was just explaining the policy, and I I don't understand how we we can be this stupid as a society. This woman was saying that she was being discriminated against and that her rights were be- being violated. And she's not the only person to say this. Like we've seen other people who have complained that they shouldn't have to wear a mask 
when they go into a private business and they are equating this with some sort of violation of their constitutional rights. And that's just not true. If a business wants to require you to wear a mask in a global pandemic in order to shop there, they can do that. If a business puts out a sign that says no firearms allowed, they can do that. If a business puts up a sign saying no shirt, no shoes, no service, they can do that. That is not discrimination. It's discrimination when they say, uh, yes, we refuse to uh, serve black people. We refuse to serve Irish people. We refuse to serve Muslims. That is discrimination. What's happening to these people isn't discrimination. And the bar is so low for white people when it comes to what their idea of discrimination is. And, And I'm not sure where it comes from. I think it might have something to do with the fact that the United States and Ben, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up some some bad memories for the British Empire. It might have something to do with the fact that when you look at the reasons the colonies rebelled against Britain, the bar was set pretty low. They were being taxed without being represented in the parliament, which is bad, and that's a legitimate grievance. But when you look throughout history in the, in the annals of revolutions, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't exactly so bad. So I think like right from the word go, the bar has been set pretty low for what constitutes tyranny. By the way, quick aside, a lot of the people who are complaining about taxation without representation and being oppressed own slaves. Declaration of Independence was written by a guy who owned slaves and who nonetheless wrote, all men are created equal. So if you combine if you combine this history of just having a very low bar for what constitutes tyranny at least for white people and you combine that with just unbridled ignorance and stupidity you get people hectoring trader joe's employees not only that but filming it and posting it on social media expecting to be validated Right, as if they're kind of freedom fighters and and uh, fighting for some, you know, as if they're fighting in the revolution or something. Um, it, yeah, it's incredibly sad, really. Like the fragility of it, which it, it, it makes makes me sort of. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. You know, it's like this whole war on Christmas thing that 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 uh, a lot of white evangelicals believe that there's a genuine war on Christianity, or there's a war on Christmas rather, and then they're not free to, they, you know. I think this poll after poll was asked them, you know, do you think you're being discriminated because you're a Christian? And they say yes. And they say, well, what can you point to uh, that, that would uh, that the government is doing that's an act of uh, of discrimination? And there's, there's there's never anything that they can point to. There's no legislation saying that you can't celebrate Christmas. Every year, there's a whole thing. Oh, the left is waging a war on Christmas. Yeah, well, Donald Trump's brought it back. People are saying Merry Christmas again, as he's fond of saying around the holidays. But yeah, no, this this actually reminds me of a piece I wrote for Banter some years ago. And it was based off of a poll that indicated white evangelicals thought they were being discriminated against more than black people, more than Muslims, more than Jews, more than any, take any demographic group you want. They thought they were being discriminated against in our society more than any other group, if I recall correctly. And that is just incredible. What do you do about this situation? I don't understand 
how you combat this kind of level of stupidity in, in society. I mean, look, like, it's, I don't want to kind of single out America here, but, you know, I've lived in, 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 two, in two countries in, in my lifetime. And, yeah, look, there are dumb people in the UK. There really are. There's, you know, we have a lot of stupid people. Uh, but in America, it seems like, uh, I don't know if there are more stupid people, but they speak out a lot more. They're much more vocal than... Like, I feel like stupid people in England kind of know that they're not very clever. And they don't speak... You know, they, they can't... You know what I mean? They, they don't try and engage in politics. Yet in America, if you're an idiot, it's almost like, you know, you have a duty to speak out and, and, then, and let everybody else know about how stupid you are. Uh, but, you know, also being incredibly confident in being incredibly ignorant, which I think is, is quite uniquely American. And I'm not... I really, you know, look... You know, I've lived in America for a long time. I love America. My, my, my kid is American. My wife is American. It's not something I have against America in particular. It's just, it, as an observation, I, I found it to be, it's quite unique in that, you know, the anti-lockdown protests are just unprecedented. Where else in the world are armed protesters storming state capitol buildings over, over social distancing guidelines and being asked to stay at home because there's a fucking pandemic going on? I think there's a certain hubris among the American populace that doesn't exist in other countries right now. And I think this can be traced to the idea of American exceptionalism, the idea that America is unique among nations, not just right now, but throughout history. People are taught this stuff. People are taught that America is the greatest country in the world. It's easy to see how a lot of citizens in this so-called greatest country in the world would by extension think that they are also great without having actually done anything great themselves. So that just by, by virtue of the fact that they just happen to be born here in this so-called greatest country in the world, they are also great and they are smart. You know, this, you get this emphasis on freedom and people crying oppression in other countries. We're not, we're not seeing in this in a lot of other countries, this kind of absurdity. I mean, look, look at South Korea which is also a democracy, but it is completely wired differently. So they understand what needs to be done to weather this pandemic, and they have taken some intrusive steps to cut back on the number of cases and the number of deaths, and it's, it's, it's worked. They had an election not too long ago. These are measures that here just would never fly. And we have a group of people that suffers from a literally – potentially lethal combination of low intelligence and an overdeveloped sense of victimhood, which manifests in these protests. And, you know, we're seeing all of these establishments open up with, without practicing any kind of social distancing. I mean, the Wisconsin Supreme Court last week invalidated the governor's stay-at-home orders. And so a bunch of places opened up and people flooded them. And they were in these bars and they were packed shoulder to shoulder. They were not distancing. They were not wearing masks. They were going on as if everything was normal. And I get it. I do think we should start reopening certain parts of the country, but we have to do it in a smart way. But I think a lot of people just aren't going to be smart about it. And Wisconsin gave us an example last week. People just carrying on like they didn't have a care in the world, like there's no pandemic going on. Yeah, it, it's. I think you you hit the nail on the head there. You you, you really do. I mean, it's it's like uh, 
I mean, it's kind of scary, you know, I, I fight and that's, just, this is why I'm sort of kind of, I, I was concerned about my mental state on Saturday, but I'm just feeling so angry towards these people who are um, risking their lives and, and, and risking everybody else's lives uh, for some weird sense of, of um, honor or, or they, you know, misguided sense of bravery. And, but it isn't, you, you know, you're right. It's just entirely selfish and, uh, and, and self-defeating really. Well, almost suicidal really, you know, it's Darwinian. Proving that they are in fact too stupid to keep themselves alive. I mean, if you're going to go to a crowded restaurant during a pandemic, you're. I mean, what does that say about your ability to 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 think rationally? Another another thing that's that's been bothering me is other 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 new ages and the and the conspiracy theorists that have kind of converged with the Trump supporters, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. And uh, you know, I've been I'm having to kind of defriend people on facebook who are spreading anti-vax nonsense and and bill gates conspiracy theories and i find that equally as disappointing and infuriating really because it's the sort of again it's the confidence with which they speak about the coronavirus as if they know something they know more than everybody else does right and you're talking about people who um, a lot of the time don't have a formal education or they may have like gone to school for Reiki healing or something. And, you know, they set themselves up with a yoga practice and all of a sudden they are, they know more about science than scientists. And they know more about disease than people who study pandemics uh, and more about viruses than virologists. I don't understand it. I really, I tried to get to the bottom of it as well, uh, just to find out where does this stuff come from and why is it so rife? Uh, and I don't know, it, but it, but it's spreading. It's growing faster and faster and faster. And, and the right and the left, or, or the or the new age left and the far right, are kind of converging in this alternate reality. And uh, yeah, it's it's making it's really beginning to piss me off. And and I probably even need to take a break from social media, or I need to move country. So I, I think, in addition to the low bar for what constitutes tyranny in the United States. Among the evangelical right, I do think there's a certain martyrdom complex that's baked in because their savior, after all, was essentially a martyr uh, for the cause, you know, literally crucified. And early Christians were persecuted in the Roman Empire. And so I, I do think there might be an element of that. And also just believing in that kind of stuff. We know a lot of those people, they, they believe the earth is less than 10,000 years old. Okay. They think evolution is a sham. And but what about the new, the new ages, the new ages are, are, I mean, they don't believe in that stuff, they, but they have their own kind of set of conspiratorial. Well, I, I really, you know, that realm more than I do, but there it's, it's two sides of the same coin. There's a, a willingness among New Agers, maybe. It's like you said, like you, we talked about this a few episodes ago and conspiracy theories. They can be satisfying, they can be appealing to people who, for whatever reason, aren't satisfied with the, the answers they're getting now, who are disillusioned with the chaos that they're seeing before them. It can be very alluring to belong to a school of thought that is not widely widely ascribed to. And so you get to be in the know about something. And not only do you get to know 
stuff that most people don't, you get to look down on most other people for being sheep. Sheeple. Sheeple, it. yeah. Sheeple yeah. Is, the, is the word that's being tossed around. That's in, uh, I've seen that in both New Age and far-right circles. Uh, everyone, anybody who believes in the virus, is, are, these people are sheeple because they're just swallowing what the media tells them. As opposed to some fuckwit on YouTube. That's what gets to me. It's like, okay, look, I read varied sources. You know, I, New York Times, BBC, The Guardian. I read science journals. Uh, I speak to doctors, uh, family members who are doctors, to fight to get my information. Yet, yet, apparently, according to New Age, uh, the New Age crowd, some dude on YouTube um, is that constitutes the real, the real knowledge, right? They have access to the real truth. Uh, and they're much better able to evaluate evidence than, say, a scientist or an epidemiologist because uh, they've published something on YouTube. And apparently I'm the sheep. The hostility toward expertise in this country is astonishing. And it, and it goes back a long time. There's a great book by Richard Hofstetter. He wrote in the early 60s, Anti-Intellectualism in American Life. And he he basically outlines throughout history how Americans have been skeptical and even outright hostile of intellectuals, of people who are experts in their field, in, in part because what they're saying isn't really matching up with what the person believes, right? So if I believe the earth is 6,000 years old because God created human beings in their present form, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, if people start talking to me about the Big Bang and evolution that goes back millions and billions of years, well, if I have it on good authority from God that the earth is 6,000 years old, guess who I'm going to believe? Right. I mean, look, I mean, here's the thing is that I, I'm perfectly willing to accept that, you know, all of those things aren't true, that the world isn't, you know, the, the Big Bang didn't happen, and uh, you know evolution is not true. And I'm perfectly willing to accept all these things if I can see some coherent evidence, if I can see a coherent theory that fits with the evidence that we have. Uh, but thus far, I'm just ha- I basically am happy to take the best theory that we have thus far, judging by the evidence. Right? I mean, I'm completely open to changing my mind on on, on anything, but there has to be evidence to support it. So you can disagree with something, but you have to have evidence to, show, to, to prove it. It's like the stuff about Bill Gates. I mean, I, I spoke to, I had an argument with somebody recently about, about Bill Gates when they said, you know, Bill Gates is committed to commit, was committing um, genocide in Africa and population control. I said, okay, well, can you show me some proof? What's the evidence? And their response was, I don't fucking know, Google it. So I went went back and said, okay, yeah, you know, okay, I've Googled it. Uh, I can't find anything. You find it, right? Nothing. More, more, more insults, just more ad hominem, you know, more, more attacking me as opposed to, to, to providing any evidence. So it's like, it's fine. If you want to say that, that Bill Gates has, has committed genocide in, in, uh, in Africa. Okay. F- let's have some evidence. But apparently the rules of evidence don't, you can just say things and therefore it becomes true because you believe it. Look, that which is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So, uh, you know, if someone wants to make a 
crazy claim and not offer any evidence. I don't, I don't worry too much about it because it, it, it's an indication that they have none or that they are just too lazy to marshal any for their case. And I think right. one, one big problem that we have in the United States is as a population, we don't think critically. I think one of the best things that we could do, and this will never happen because it will be opposed by the right, because it would undermine their power. It would be opposed by religious institutions because it would undermine their power. But if we could somehow institute critical thinking classes across the country, starting in middle school, for example, and going through high school, and they yeah, but that's communist. That's communist, Mike. Yeah, right. But you you could teach them what constitutes a strong argument, what constitutes a weak argument, what makes for good evidence when it comes to arguing for and against things, when it comes just to just having any kind of dialogue whatsoever. I feel like we don't do that. I mean. The most newspapers in this country are still running horoscopes for fuck's sake. And, and, and a fair number of Americans actually believe in astrology. That's crazy. Not to mention religion and all the other things. Like I mentioned a few episodes ago, a good chunk of evangelical Christians think that the world is going to end in their lifetime and that Jesus is going to come back in their lifetime. I mean, this is. I mean, to be honest with you, I have less of an issue with things like that and things with astrology because those are things that you can't necessarily disprove per se, right? You can't prove that the end of the world isn't nigh, right? And I'm, I'm quite happy for, for those beliefs to sort I, I, I don't mind. I guess I'm fairly tolerant for people who, ha- who believe in, you know, astrology and that kind of fine. But I don't because fine. I, I, <laughs> I mean, look, you could say. Uh, these are these are non-falsifiable claims, right? You know, okay, there's an invisible man in the sky who watches us and uh, will send us to heaven or hell depending on how we behave during our lives. Prove it wrong. And it's like, well, you know, Bertrand Russell, the, the British philosopher, he used the example of a teapot. He said, suppose I posit that there's a tiny teapot in outer space that's too small to be seen by our strongest telescopes. Now, you can't prove it's wrong, but... Does this say anything for its existence? Does this say anything for the plausibility of its existence? And the answer is no. So we could make up anything we want. You know, I could say, look, there are little, uh, there are little green men on Pluto playing a baseball game right now. Prove me wrong. Yeah, but again, look, those things, don't, for me, they, they don't have life or death consequences. But a virus does. Right, so so this is where it's like okay, it's fine. I don't I don't mind if you believe in God or you believe in astrology, and that's fine, right? Uh, but I think that when it starts, when you when it gets down to things like a virus, and when it comes down to real things that like if you you're not wearing a mask because you don't believe the virus exists, uh, uh, that this is where where I my my um, what's the word my uh, open mindedness or or um, non judgmental self. Um, disappears, and I think, okay, look, fine. Believe, do, read your, your your star signs and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Believe in God. I don't care, right? But but once you start to disbelieve a virus, right? Believe a virus doesn't exist, or it does exist, but it's not going to hurt you because uh, you're taking a fucking unproven medication approved by 
the president, this is when I, I start having a problem. But I think all of these are symptoms of the same problem. So you mentioned the New Agers, right? A lot of them believe mm. in astrology. And then there's the right-wingers. You know, a lot of them believe the Earth is less than 10,000 years old. And the two groups believe that coronavirus is hyped or even a hoax or hydroxychloroquine can, can solve something. And I think, uh, getting back to my point, this is symptomatic of a total lack of critical thinking among the population. Yes, I, I, I do agree with that. I do agree. And I think, you know, critical thinking is something that should be definitely be taught in schools. I mean, I, I have to say in, in America, I found lack of critical thinking to be a serious problem, a real serious problem where you just have. I mean, I think it's, you know, you can look at uh, the, the education system in, in the United States. I've, I've had partially an American education and uh, some of it was excellent. Some of it was not so good. And one of the things I didn't like about it was the sort of multiple choice com- aspect to learning where you just just like which statement is true. You know, you have like three choices. So basically people, you can guess and still, you know, do reason. You can you could probably pass a test by just guessing where you don't have to display critical thinking or an ability to construct an argument. Instead, you just have to be able to kind of fill out a form or, or choose from a, 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 some different answers. And that constitutes education. And that, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's changed since, since then. But that was sort of what I saw of, of American education. Uh, combine that with, you know, chronic lack of funding, Fox News, you know, endless advertisements, getting you to buy things. And uh, I think you've got a kind of a recipe for disaster. You've got a very a, a population that is highly susceptible to conspiracy theories and kind of bullshit news. I, I don't know how you go about addressing that, because it, it seems that, you know, if the country's going to survive in the long term, uh, an educated population is probably the best way to do that uh, and yet here we are here we are with the president saying that we should inject ourselves with disinfectants and take uh, other unproven methods for treating coronavirus i i just wanted to mention last week the michigan state legislature postponed a session they were supposed to have because they wanted to avoid another armed protest in the capitol building and apparently in the michigan state capitol building you can walk in with firearms. And we saw all the images of the, the protesters. Some of them got in the face of police and all this stuff. So the legislature didn't want a repeat of that. And so they just postponed the session. And, and the, the headline is absurd. Michigan cancels legislative session to avoid armed protesters. That's an actual headline from Bloomberg. Okay. And you know, replace the word Michigan with Somalia. And we would say, oh, yeah, that figures. Somalia cancels legislative session to avoid armed protesters. But this is in Michigan. We're doing this. We're, we're allowing armed goons to alter the behavior of our state legislature or the Michigan state legislature. And this is crazy. There's a show called Babylon Berlin. It's on Netflix. Ben, have you seen it? No, I have not. Okay. It is a German language show. They just wrapped up season three this year, I believe. It's a great show. And it takes place in late Weimar, Germany. So this is 1929 we're talking. 
And obviously it is a, it's a work of fiction, but it is grounded in the zeitgeist of what was going on at the time. And several times in this show, they show the Nazis who are out of power, but there are these, these gangs of Nazis who engage in all kinds of hooliganism and vandalism, and the police are letting them get away with it. They're, they're letting them get away with it in a lot of cases, and they face no consequences whatsoever. And that was actually what happened a lot of times in late Weimar Germany. The Nazis weren't getting punished for the acts that they were engaging in, the, at least, you know, not uniformly. They were testing. They were testing. What can we get away with? Oh, we can get away with this. All right. Well, maybe we can get away with that and then get away with that after that. This is what I feel like is happening now. Like, why are we letting people get, why are we letting ourselves be intimidated by armed protesters who are in violation, by the way, of orders against mass gatherings and social distancing and all this? Why are they getting away with it? Maybe it's because they're white. If they were black, who knows? This might be a different situation. But I don't know why they're being allowed to get away with this and intimidate a state legislature into not having a session. Not that that was their goal, but that was the result. You, you know what it, it, it seems to me? It seems to me like the, the if Biden gets in, Democrats get in power. Well, actually, this is what Governor Whitmore should, I think, should probably do. They should do what the government, what the the government did in um, uh, in Arkansas, right? In in Little Rock in Arkansas. I think it was in yeah in the late 50s, 1950, in 57, 58 where they had to, where the army came and uh, an escorted student, black students, into the school because of um, violence against, um, I can't remember if it was the governor. I think it was the, the um, I think I it was the federal government. Yes, yes, was, I believe it was Eisenhower who ordered it. Was Eisenhower, yeah, Eisenhower, yeah, it was, it was the Eisenhower uh, ordered, the, ordered the military to, to escort students into uh, a, a white a predominantly white school a completely white school i and i think that that's what a responsible government needs to do now they need to if people if there are armed protesters coming to the to the to the state the state house call in the fucking call in the military these people are endangering everybody else's lives they're t- they're basically terrorists and i think the us government should get involved this is why but it's again it shows you just how sort of racist the country is and that when white people do it if the, if they if they were black protesters they'd be shot if black people were, sh- were turning up armed they'd be shot yeah maybe we would get some gun control at that point <laughs> yeah i i i think so you know i mean this, this is why I I think that the uh, Biden administration has to come down like a ton of bricks on on these uh, on these lunatics and let them understand that that you know they they don't have the monopoly on on, on violence that the federal government can and, and will be used to for public safety and to prevent people from um, you know ab- abusing the law and abusing the public and endangering the public because how else are they I I don't think. You can't really negotiate with these people at all. It's not possible. I think they've proven that they they can't be reasoned with and they can't be negotiated with. So I, that's that's what I say. I say lock them up, uh, throw them in jail, and and uh, make a spectacle out of it. Make a huge spectacle out of it. It's the only way to curb this 
this uh, this kind of movement. This it's, it's like a white nationalist movement spreading across America incredibly quickly. It's treated as a terrorist, as a terrorist uprising. These people are terrorists, so treat them like terrorists. And I, it, 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 but of course, when you have Donald Trump, uh, uh, who is a <laughs> a white nationalist himself, it's unlikely to happen. So I, I do hope that uh, in the future, the next administration is going to take this kind of bullshit very, very seriously. You even had in Texas, for example, the case of Shelley Luther, her name is. She owns a hair salon and she opened in violation of the stay-at-home order. And she was sentenced to seven days in jail and the governor of Texas intervened on her behalf and she didn't end up having to serve the sentence. Meanwhile, in Texas, there is a woman by the name of Crystal Mason, who is black, unlike Shelley Luther, who is white, who is serving a five-year prison sentence for voting in an election that she thought she could vote in but could not because she was still on probation. She had been released from prison, and whatever the Texas law is down there, she wasn't allowed to vote. So she thought she could vote when she couldn't. She voted. They caught her. As a result, she's now serving five years in prison for unknowingly violating this law. Meanwhile, we have white lady Shelley Luther opening her fucking hair salon on purpose in direct defiance of a stay-at-home order, getting sentenced to a mere seven days in prison. And the fucking governor comes in and saves the day because it's unacceptable that this woman served seven days in jail for knowingly violating a stay-at-home order during a pandemic. Yeah, if this isn't a sort of uh, a wake-up call, if these kind of stories aren't a wake-up call as to what, what's happening in the country right now, I don't, I don't know what is. I really don't. But how, how, how insane the sort of white, Amer- basically middle, middle America, white middle America is. They, it, was, it was after the election of Obama. They literally lost their fucking minds. They went completely insane. And, you know, this is, I think we're dealing with the backlash of electing a black man into, into office that you've now got. It's now just completely fine to be, even though they're claiming oppression, even though their man is in the White House, yet they're still claiming they're oppressed. It's fucking incredible. Like a Biden administration is going to have to crack down on this kind of stuff, like really, really, really seriously. Because if this continues, you know, we're going to be in a situation where people, people are not even going to bother hiding it anymore. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the Republican MO at the moment. They've, 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 they've basically given up on pretending to be fair or pretending to believe in the Constitution or pretending to be, you know, um, uh, believe that people are equal under, under the law. They just they don't give a shit anymore. It's a smash and grab. They're trying to pass as many tax cuts as they can elect as many uh, not get as many kind of far right judges elected uh, as possible and ensure that wealth and power is concentrated in the hands of white people and that means not only materially but also in the electoral college as well so therefore it doesn't matter how progressive the country becomes as a whole you still got a minority of white nationalist lunatics that control everything and a complicit republican party that ensures that they will always dictate who is in the White House. Like you said, it's this bad now and their guys in the White House. So if Biden gets in, it's going to be even worse. We're going to have the Tea Party all over again. 
where, as you correctly noted, they lost their fucking minds. We elected a black guy president and the right lost their fucking minds. Those town halls where that they planted themselves in, I want my country back. It'll be the same playbook this time. Even though it's a white guy, it's a Democrat, going to have to be demonized. And it's just going to be a fucking shit show. But what do you, if you, if you're Biden, if you're part of the Biden administration, what do you do? What's, what would be your plan to try and stop this or make it better? Well, you, you can't prevent people from assembling peaceably. I mean, during a pandemic, you can, you can say, Hey, you're violating a stay at home order. You're violating social distancing protocols. Get the hell out of here. But if things are back to normal next year and Biden is president, they can assemble. But I think, I think the key is to not let yourselves be intimidated by them. The, the Tea Party was wildly successful because they created the impression that their anger was the country's anger. And that just was not the case. The Tea Party people with pictures, with posters of Obama and a Hitler mustache and a swastika, that is not, that's not the mainstream public, but they were able to scare a lot of politicians into kind of, I don't know, trying to appeal to them, throwing them a bone. I I just, if we get Tea Party 2.0, I think the Tea Party 2.0 is going to have to be vilified because you're going to have to hit back on them and not just rely on Rachel Maddow to, to demonize them because these people with the swastikas who are calling everyone they don't agree with Hitler and a fascist and a Nazi, they are wrong. They are just objectively wrong. And we need leaders to point this out instead of trying to get their fucking vote. Well, I, I say just call them terrorists. That's, that's, that would be my solution, that you call a terrorist a terrorist. You threaten violence. You bring guns to the state legislator. Uh, you threaten people, um, you know, you're a terrorist, basically. White nationalist terror groups. And that's what I think the federal government needs to spend a lot of resources on ferreting out white, white nationalist movements and making sure all of these motherfuckers go to jail. The only, the only positive I do see in all of this is that um, this is all looking good for Biden. And I think that there was a really interesting piece um, that came out from a bill. I think it was a former Bill Clinton strategist did you did you look at this at all which one uh, so there was a piece out um okay yeah so this there's a piece in in um uh in axios by a guy called doug sosnick who was the white house political director during bill clinton's uh re-election race and he wrote um he wrote a piece basically saying that the there's been a complete political realignment of the country it began in 1992 and it's basically uh what we're seeing now is it the terrain now is completely different than it was in 2016 the map has changed and the the realignment is as follows there's changing demographics the fastest growing demographic groups non-whites and millennials which are now the largest voting bloc are democratic friendly women are increasingly abandoning the republican party more educated voters are increasingly democratic, and the suburbs, which constitute an increasing share of the U.S. population, are moving toward uh, moving democratic. Basically, Michigan is where a lot of this comes down to, um, which I thought was really, really interesting because these armed protests in Michigan it might be horrible to watch and a, and a, and a kind of uh, quite frightening, but according to polling. 
Trump's chances of winning Michigan um, are, are diminishing rapidly because of the impact of, uh, of the coronavirus. So the coronavirus is, is completely destroying Michigan. Uh, this is in, and the country is moving to is moving. I think Trump Trump won it in 2016 by about 11,000 votes. Basically, if Biden can take Michigan, uh, he's in he's in a very 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 good position. Yeah, he is, but he'll also need uh, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Uh, those were the three states that Hillary thought were in the bag, and she lost them, and she lost the election. I mean, look, I am encouraged. Like I've said. I try to avoid polls this early, but I do see headlines about who's ahead where. And mm. I do like what I see so far, but there is a long way to go in this one. There's a long way to go. Um, but, but apparently Pennsylvania uh, has also been, it's been hit almost as hard as Michigan. Um, in terms, I think Michigan, it's got the, it's got the most, uh, Michigan has the fourth highest number of coronavirus deaths in the country and then pennsylvania is is the fifth most deaths and i think uh, trump is better positioned in wisconsin but michigan and pennsylvania are are increasingly going to be out of reach for trump because of just how bad they've been hit so this is what uh, sosnick says about biden's best uh, best chance this is his best strategy is to is to put michigan out of reach for trump that should be the absolute number one priority Right. And, and uh, then lock up Pennsylvania and then prioritize winning Arizona, M- Maine and Nebraska. And uh, then focus the remaining resources on Wisconsin, North Carolina and Florida. Nebraska? Uh, yes. He probably yes. means, is he referring to the fact that Maine and Nebraska are the only two states in the union that get to split their electoral vote allocation? He must mean that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, but that does look. I mean, that's you know. I, I think a lot of Trump's blustering and 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 all these lunatics coming out with guns is going to hurt him in in the in the in the long run when it comes to the when it comes to the 2016 election. It was the uh, you know we discussed Obama Gate um, in the last podcast and you know, Obama's simple message on Twitter was vote. Um, that's the only thing he tweeted uh, in response to Trump's outrageous allegations that nobody understands. And I think that, you know, look, all of this stuff can be solved if, if we just get Trump out of power. That's, this is the number one priority right now. It has to be, we have to get this lunatic out of office. Because once he's out of office, I mean, you're talking about, I think you're going to see the collapse of the Republican Party if, if, if Trump gets out of office. Because what can he do out of office? He has no power out of office. We should have seen the collapse of the Republican Party in 2008. After that election, they were dead. They were mm. deader than dead. I remember John Boehner. I remember John Boehner in two consecutive elections. They got whipped in 06. They lost their majority. They lost even more seats in 08. I remember John Boehner being reduced to holding press conferences that weren't very well attended where he was upset that Obama wasn't really listening to any of the House Republican input. And he was having to say, we have ideas too, Mr. President. And they were dead. They were absolutely dead. And look where we are now. How I wish for the days of 
John Boehner. How I wish that John Boehner was the face of the Republican Party. John Boehner was uh, apparently he he he's basically uh, disavowed Trump and won't have anything to do with him. I was thinking of this earlier. You know, in 1994, when you had the Republican Revolution and Gingrich's contract with America, that ended decades of Democratic rule in the House. And how did that happen? It happened, go all the way back to the New Deal with Franklin Roosevelt. He comes into power at a time of crisis, one of the worst crises the nation had ever faced, and it still remains so, and it's, pro- it's the worst crisis the nation has ever faced that hasn't been a war. And Roosevelt and the Democratic Party had big vision. They thought bold, they thought outside the box, and they went about enacting those policies. They went about making those ideas a reality. Social Security and the Works Progress Administration, Tennessee Valley Authority, and all, all of that stuff. The, the beginning of the creation of a social safety net, which Republicans have been trying to undermine for the last 40 years or so. FDR and the Democrats then, they had their own contract with America, okay, looking out for the working class as opposed to the interests of big business. And they were rewarded over the next 50, 60 years with control of the Congress for the vast majority of that time. And here we have in the present day a crisis of similar proportions. Who knows economically it could be even worse. We have this moment now and the Democrats need to think big and bold. And if Joe Biden gets in, he needs to have a plan along with Nancy Pelosi along with who knows what the Senate is going to look like, but they need to push for a big, bold agenda. And if the Republicans don't get on board, they need to be ready to explain to the American people all of the reasons why Republicans do not give a shit about the average American. Yes, you're right. It has to be incredibly bold when they go in. They have to be, you know, they're going to have to move very, very quickly. First year is when Biden's going to have to just ram through as many things as possible. Uh, and, and whatever tactics they have to uh, pass their um, agenda, you know, use it. I think, um, you know, you've got, what do they say? You've got six months to basically do some, to, to, to get your agenda passed. To get, or you've got the first year, I think, in office is when you get everything done. And uh, that's the window. I think. And you can undo a lot of stuff. You can undo a lot of damage that Trump has done. Um, if you have a, a, a fully functioning government and you have in, intelligent people and dedicated people, people who actually have some balls as well. Uh, that's why I want to see, I'd like to see a, like a, I want to see Elizabeth Warren in the cabinet. I want to see, um, I want to see some real ruthless people in, in Joe Biden's cabinet in, in 2020, if he gets in. That's my, that, that's the thick. I, I am not optimistic. Just, I mean, he's got Larry Summers advising him. Uh, that's that's a big red flag. I mean, but even like you look at the House, you look at Pelosi. You know, Pelosi can pass almost anything she wants, right? She's she's got her majority, and the latest coronavirus relief bill is just it's kind of it's it contains some good things, but it's also a little watered down. 
And, you know, like student loan debt relief, they rolled that back. And it's like, okay, so on one hand, Democrats love complaining about how young people don't vote. Okay, so people under 30, they don't vote as much as people over 30. Well, people under 30 have a lot of fucking student loan debt. So why wouldn't you throw them a bone and make student loan forgiveness a major part of your bill and say, come on and, and, and vote for us. And look, I understand this is a, you know, quote unquote messaging bill. I understand it's never going to get taken up by the Senate. And if it does, it's going to get shot down. But instead of watering down your own bill, let Mitch McConnell be the one to do it. Let him say no. Let Trump weigh in on this and say no. Let them be the assholes and then hang it around their neck in November. I just don't understand the thinking here from the Democrats. I don't get it either. I mean, I, I give Nancy Pelosi a lot of credit um, for the way that she sort of handled Trump um, over the past couple of years, uh, past four years. I think she's been pretty effective. But yeah, they, there's some head scratching moments by the Democrats. Uh, you know, there are so many things that they could they could basically butcher Trump on, and and they're much they're far too cautious. You know, I think one of the things they haven't made enough of a um, of a deal about is healthcare. That, that Trump is keeps trying to repeal Obamacare. He's pledged to repeal it in the middle of a fucking pandemic, right? And and this should be this should be Democrats should be messaging. They should have unified messaging on this. And I and I've yet to see it. You know, I, I, I'm a liberal, but I am just disappointed in the constant lack of a, a killer instinct the constant lack of an imagination by Democrats. And I have to say, I'm going to sound like an ageist, but the fact is you think about the leadership in Congress, you've got Nancy Pelosi. She's 80. The house majority leader is Steny Hoyer. He's like 79. Jim Clyburn, the majority whip, he's like 78 or 79. And then over in the Senate, you have the young gun, Chuck Schumer, who's going to turn 70 <laughs> years old this year. They're old. They've been in the legislature forever. And it's like they know no other way. I will say, OK, I'm going to play devil, devil's advocate here. I do think that that has been uh, that has been advantageous uh, just in terms of of managing to stifle a lot of Trump's agenda because the the benefit of having very very seasoned politicians is that you can you can block a lot of stuff right they basically pelosi has played trump for an idiot a lot of the time she's been pretty good on that and and um i think that they've managed to to do a good job you know preventing a lot of the excesses of the, of uh, trump's agenda uh but in terms of ideas yeah you're right like they, they there were no new no new ideas coming out of of um of the 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 old guard of the Democratic Party, and I think that hopefully they'll you know if they get this if, if they get the victory in uh, it, once we get Trump out of office, then you know it might be time for some some fresh blood to come in and with some with some new ideas because it is it, it's, you know it's absolutely necessary now. You want to beat Trump by all by literally any means necessary, any means necessary, and that's why I've been supportive of Nancy Pelosi because I think she's I think. Into, as a strategist, she's, she's good. As an ideas person, not so much. I, again, am not optimistic. Even if Biden comes <laughs> in, obviously things will be way better than they are now. Like, I'll take anything. I'll take Dick Cheney. I would Listen, if someone said right now we can put Dick Cheney in charge, I'd say yes. At least Dick Cheney wouldn't be asking people to inject themselves with bleach. 
Yeah, at, at least there's that. But at the end of the day, I think if the Democratic Party is really going to be the party of progressive politics, what you'll need is a liberal version of an insurgent candidate like Donald Trump and the Republican Party. I don't mean somebody who is buffoonish and just completely insensitive and vain and narcissistic. I don't mean that. I mean it in the sense that It'll be some out-of-nowhere candidate who isn't part of the establishment who is then willing to smash the establishment once they get in power. And someone who is willing to do a total house cleaning of all of the old guard and all of the centrist compromising bullshit and someone who is a great communicator and can make this party their own, number one, and also prepare the party to continue on after that person is gone. That's where Trumpism fails. Trumpism dies once Trump is gone. Because yeah. that, this is, it's just a cult of personality. It's not based on ideas. It's based on a guy. And once mm -hmm. that guy is gone, this is gone. That's true. No, that's true. Well, listen, I think, I think that's enough for today. I think we've, uh, we've both vented enough and, uh, you know, uh, I think we're on the same, uh, same levels of anger, Fuck. but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, listen, everyone, I hope we haven't depressed you too much. I hope we'll have more positive news to talk about next time, but, um, hopefully you've enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe to the bands and newsletter. You can sign up for the free version or you can sign up for the paid version. You get 50% discount. If you do it within this email that you're, that you're listening to it from, uh, Mike is the author of a great blog, new Democrat.com. Uh, highly worth reading and subscribing to that too. And uh, yeah, Mike, anything to say before we go? See you next week, everyone. And do not take any medication that is not prescribed by your doctor to treat coronavirus. Don't do it. Don't do it, please. Okay. Despite I what the president says. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone.